You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. Visit us on the web at visitgracechurch.com. Okay, so I got, I got this story to tell you. Uh, my daughter has been bothering me like crazy. Dad, 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 you got to read these book series. I, I really don't have time. You know how busy I am? And she's like, dad, but you're really going to love it. Okay, so I picked up the first book, and of course now I'm addicted, and uh, started reading the first book, got through it, and started in on the second book immediately, because it's always a cliffhanger. And in the second book, there's this story in there where the main character is getting ready to go to bed with another character that she's not married to, and it's like, oh my gosh, uh, <laughs> my daughter just read this. Okay, so I pulled my daughter aside after I read that, and I said, okay, listen, honey, you realize that just because they're doing it doesn't mean that you are supposed to be doing it. We've had, and she's starting to interrupt me at this point, saying, Dad, I know. No, no, you got to listen. Here's the deal. God has a plan for you, and it's not doing that kind of stuff before marriage. And so I want you to understand that you have to wait until you're married and not before, like, that couple apparently did. I understand, Dad. How many times are we going to go over this? Until it gets up here, until I'm dead, okay? That, that's how long I'm going to go at it. Dad, I know, I know. Okay, just want to make sure that you and I are clear that that is for after you get married. And so it was, it was a good time. It was weird. It was okay. <laughs> Guys, that's actually the goal of our Grace at Home Ministries, uh, the very simple win we have with Grace at Home. Uh, the win for all of us is that we have spiritual conversations with our household, because we got all types of conversations in our household, right? Conversations about life and schedules and food and when to go to bed and all these type of things, and I, I think one of the conversations we can miss out on in the business of life is just having spiritual conversations. And that's the goal of Grace at Home. That's why we exist, that Mary of our ministry exists to equip you on how to have those conversations, how to navigate, why every week uh, we have a Grace at Home question at the end of our message notes so you have something to talk about spiritually. But we're going to be in the Bible today in Genesis 33. So you want to turn your Bibles to Genesis 33. Uh, we'll be there today in a moment. Our ushers have Bibles. And if you're newer to Grace, we'd love to loan you a Bible or give you a gift. You just got to raise your hand. We'll be in Genesis chapter 33. There are, there are a number of really important moments uh, in our lives. The day, there's a day as a student. For our students, there's a day that you have a choice between, you know, what you know is right and what somebody else wants you to do, right? Maybe it's your friend, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. So are you going to do the right thing? Or are you going to do what your friend or your boyfriend or girlfriend wants you to do? That's a big, big moment for us. There's the moment that you graduate, or you're getting ready to graduate from high school or college, and you're deciding, like, what's next in my journey? That's a big moment. There's the time you start dating somebody, and you reveal your non-negotiables. Uh, and often when you're dating, you discover new ones. You discover new non-negotiables. Uh, that's a really big moment. 
the day you decide to get married. And arguably, marriage is like the second most important decision you're ever going to make. Marriage is a three-legged race. And if the other person is just dragging their legs in this three-legged race, you're not going to go very far. You're not going to go very fast. It's huge. There's the day you have a child or you adopt a child and you bring that child into your reality. They're in your world now. That's a really big moment. But all these moments, they don't compare and they're not the, as big and as influential to who you are as the moment that you actually decide that Jesus Christ, that God Almighty is no longer just your dad's God. He's no longer your mom's God. He's no longer your friend's God or your church's God. It's the day you decide that God himself, the God, is now from this point forward, my God. That's the moment that has the most influence on who you are, on your identity. And I'm not saying when you make that decision, I'm not saying that you won't have fears after that moment. Uh, You absolutely will. I have fears. I'm not saying you won't struggle with the old you. Like I struggle still with the old Tim, the old attitudes and behaviors that I, that's not, that's the old me. But when you make God yours, guess what happens? Inside you, Jesus starts living. And you look in your soul sometimes and go, what's up with that? That's really good. That's not me. No, that's Jesus in you. And the people around you, they see you and they're like, dude, what is up with you? That was really good and that's weird and that's not you. Well, that's not me. That's the old you wouldn't do that. But Jesus, he's living in you and you see that. And so here's my question, guys. Are you 100% sure that at some point in your life, you made this irrevocable decision of faith to make the God your God? He became my God. No matter what, he's the God of your career. Frankly, he can do whatever he wants. It's his career. He's the God of your body. He can give you health or not. It's his body. He's the God of your relationships. He puts people in, takes people away. It's his relationships. He's the God of your money. He didn't own 10%. He owns 100%. He's the God of your education, where you're going to go to school, the God of what you do for fun. He's your God. Have you made the God your God? And so we're in a series right now unpacking that called Selfie. And so we're having some fun with this. A selfie is when you make an image of yourself. You're in some way saying this is my identity. And we're trying to, the goal is to help you find your true identity in Jesus Christ. And this week, we, every week we have a theme. This week's theme was the nested selfie. So this is when you take a selfie. If somebody taking a selfie, I caught my friend Michael Glassford from high school. Uh, he's doing a selfie. I'm taking a selfie. I'm doing a selfie. We're having a selfie competition. And this is a Holy Land selfie. So there's even bonus right there. That's fantastic. But so we got some great examples. You sent them in this week. You tagged them. We had two-person selfies, nested selfies, which were very nice. We had two-person nested selfies, which are kind of weird. Yes, we had... We had two-person nested selfies, which were mirror images, and, and this one noted, I was caught in an embarrassing stance, okay? So we had, we had five, we had five-person nested selfies. I, I counted five people nested selfies. We had six-person nested selfies. We had 150-person, a room full of a night at Paris nested selfies from two nights ago right here. And we had, I believe it was a cheater, but we had an infinite person nested selfie with the use of mirrors. So, so, 
I told this guy, dude, one of you is enough. We don't need an infinite number of copies of you. And so here's the wild thing. So this week we asked for nested selfies. And so people were sending in another genre of selfies. They were sending in extreme sporting selfies. So we got, we got extreme running selfie, running with the bulls. We got extreme climbing selfie. This guy's a Russian extreme climber. Makes my feet hurt to look at the picture. We had extreme falling selfies. Yeah, that's not a selfie. It's a picture, but we'll put it in there. That's fantastic. And we had extreme walking selfies, but it counts if you're spacewalking. So that's... So we had a whole bunch of selfies. So this week, since we, people were doing a little different things, we, for the next two weeks, for the last two weeks of our selfie series, are going to leave the theme to you. Anything you pick, go out there, shoot. You can shoot an old school selfie like this one. Notice it's got everything. It's got, it's got duck lips. It's got the photo bomb. It's got an appearance of a dog, which I believe is extra credit in a selfie. Which, as opposed to an appearance of your cat, which gets you, you lose points if you put your cat and your selfie. You can, do, you can do a new school selfie like this one where everybody tapes their noses up and turns them into snouts. Um, and by the way, this is, they're just saying, this is our identity. And I, I love what they tagged this with. They said family bonding, which I thought was nice. Family bonding. That's how families bond together. Just make sure you tag it with the hashtag. This next week, anything goes, hashtag grace, selfie, G-R-A-C, selfie that I ate the end. Today we're continuing our selfie series. We're trying to help people, you and me, find our true identity in Jesus Christ up to this point for the first five weeks of the series. Our big idea was this. Our identity at our core is of one who bears God's image. Now that's not today's big idea, but previously that was our big idea that you were made in the very image of God. Well now for the last three weeks of the series, we have a different big idea, a more refined one. And we're trying to match what's happening in the story of Jacob as we're looking through the life of Jacob. Something happened in Jacob last week that we're going to see this week that is our big idea. And so as we watch this short video, I want you to put yourself in the role of these people who are making statements and ask yourself, could you, with all integrity, like could you say the same things as these guys do? Are you finding your identity there? Take a look. You don't know me. 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 What you see on the outside isn't the whole story. Isn't the whole story. Isn't the whole story. What you see on the outside isn't the whole story. I am not defined by the way I dress. I am not defined by my age. By my age. I am not defined by my cancer. By my skin color. I'm not defined by my color. I'm not defined by my hand you could be an eight. So then who am I? Who am I? So then who am I? So then who am I? Who am I? So then who am I? Who am I? Who am I? I am defined by one man. I am defined by one man. One man. By one man. I am defined by one man. I am defined by one moment. I am defined by one moment. By one moment. By one moment. One moment. I am defined by one moment. I am defined by one love. One love. One love. One love. One love. 
by one love. I am defined by one love. I am defined by Jesus. I am defined by Jesus. I am defined by Jesus. I am defined by Jesus Christ. By Jesus Christ. I am defined by Jesus Christ. I am defined by Jesus Christ. Guys, here's my question. Could you be in that video? I mean, could you say honestly that you are defined? You don't have a dose of Jesus. You don't have a day a week for Jesus. Uh, you don't have any declared your faith publicly for Jesus, but you are defined by Jesus Christ. When you're defined by Jesus Christ, you actually find yourself. You find your identity. And that's our big idea. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. We actually find our identity when we're defined by Christ. You find your identity when you are defined by Jesus Christ. And it's kind of the message Jesus had, but he was here. He said this in various ways. He said, if you try to find your life on your own, you find your life in what you have, you'll lose your life. You find your life in what people think about you, you'll lose it. You find it what you, uh, what you accomplish or what people think about you, uh, you'll lose it. Look, he says, Matthew 10, 39. He who finds his life on his own will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. If you want to find yourself, you want to find your true self, want to find your identity, who you really are, you find it when you're defined by Jesus Christ. So I'll ask you again, could you have been in the video? I mean, not just like, many of us could have acted like we're in the video. Yeah, I, I could say those words, but I mean, really. Are you defined by one moment? By one love? By one man, Jesus? Let's pray for a moment. Lord, we come to you, and I'm asking you to continue having your spirit. We ask you to have your Holy Spirit moving in and among our hearts, doing only, uh, only what your Holy Spirit can do. God, we, we together pray to you together right now. We open up ourselves to you. We open up our, our minds to you, our hearts to you, our souls to you. We pray you would help this story of Jacob come alive and help us to see ourselves and people we know in this story. And I pray you help every one of us hear clearly from your Holy Spirit that you would affirm whether we have or have not made the God my God. The most important moment of our lives. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, let's look at Jacob in Genesis 33. We've been looking at the life of Jacob. Let me reset his life. He's a guy who was a twin brother. He was the younger uh, twin brother. His older twin was named Esau. Jacob, his name actually means literally heel grabber. He was, as a baby when he was born, his little tiny hand was holding on a little tiny heel, the brother in front of him. And they named him heel grabber. Why? Because he's a manipulator, a schemer all his life. He was always grabbing and taking always grabbing and tripping people up. He was a deceiver, a schemer, a manipulator. This is a guy that lied to his, his own dad on his deathbed. He stole from his brother 
his blessing. He stole from his father-in-law, from the family business. He diverted the bulk of the capital over to his part of the family business. He even wrestled with God personally. As we saw last week, if you missed it, you got to get last week's message online, Genesis 32. So he's wrestling. He jumps this guy out of fear. He's wrestling, wrestling. We find out this guy is not just a man, not just an angel. This is Jesus Christ before born of a virgin. And he's wrestling and wrestling. And in many ways, Jacob had wrestled with God his entire life. You see, his grandfather had embraced God as his own. That's his grandpa, Abraham. His dad, Isaac, had embraced God as his own. But he'd never done it himself. And so even listening to the words that he used, other people, everybody knew Jacob did not embrace God as his own. Even he said it. Look in Genesis 28. The Lord is talking to Jacob. Genesis 28, verse 13. And he tells Jacob, Jacob, I am the God of your grandpa, and I am the God of your dad. And then silence, because he's like, okay, somebody's missing in this list, my friend. He's not, he's not accepted God as his own. When Jacob makes a vow in verse 20, Genesis 28, 20, he says, if God does these five things, if God, if you do A, B, C, D, and E, then I will grace you with all the glory that is me. Then you will get the joy of having me embrace you as my God. So I was thinking about that phrase this week. This whole, if you do this, then you'll be my God. I started wondering. I don't know the percentage, but I wondered how many people here have this same relationship with God as Jacob did then. This if-then relationship where, you know, if God does this, this, and this the way you want it, then God is your God. But if he doesn't do this, this, or this, he breaks any of your ideas you want to have done. You're like, I'm not following God unless he does this. Because maybe you're like Jacob. You, you know God's there and you know people who know God, but you've not accepted God. You even pray. Jacob prayed this. But he had this if-then relationship with God. I wonder if that might be you. Genesis 31, verse 5. So Jacob's talking about his father-in-law. And he says, oh, I'm so glad the God of my dad protected me. I'm so glad my dad's God was there for me. And then Laban, his father-in-law, says... Good thing the God of your dad protected you because I was coming after you. And then even Jacob said again, back to his father-in-law in verse 42, oh, the God of my dad, my Isaac, the God of my grandpa, Abraham, I'm so glad that God is there. When Jacob prays, even in Jacob's prayer, Genesis 32, he thinks Esau's coming to kill him with 400 guys. And so Genesis 32, verse 9, he prays. He says, oh, oh, God of my grandpa, God, my grandpa's God. Abraham, my dad's God. Isaac, oh, help me. Even in his prayer time, he's just not accepting God as his own. But he's still praying to him. But he's asking for stuff knowing that he's not fully surrendered his life over to God. And so the wrestling match in Genesis 32 we talked about last week occurs. And there was a real turning point for Jacob. Instead of J- Jacob taking the easy way out. You know, the easy way out with God is surrendering. Giving up. I heard, I think it was Miles McPherson. He was preaching one time. I heard him. And he's like, that's why I raise my hands. Because whenever some, somebody comes up and a cop comes up to you and says surrender. You know what you do? I give up. <laughs> and he goes, he's like, oh, that's good. And so a lot of times when I, when I praise God and I raise my hands, I'm like, give up, God. I, I surrender. That's the easy way. You see, God just wants you to surrender. Give up your life. Surrender to him. I, I give up. 
But instead, some of us are, are hard-headed and knuckleheads, to be honest. And so God's got to go down there with a little pinky in a wrestling match and take the strength of our life. We think your career is the strength, God laughs. You think your family's the strength, God giggles. You think your health's the strength, oh, God mutters to himself, what are you thinking? And he just goes down to the strength of your life and just goes, boop. We saw last week that Jacob's hip was dislocated. So this week, I wanted to figure out what Jacob went through physically. And I looked up videos of hip dislocations. And I got grossed out. Let me just be honest. I, and I got videos of them putting the hips back in. Ugh. So I promise I'm not going to show you a video. That's like, you're like, some people are like, is he going to show a video now, Mr. Video Dude? No, I'm not going to show it. But I would say I was entirely grossed out. Um, incredibly painful. Most often hip dislocations happen today because of car accidents. And so you, they're incredibly painful. They usually go backwards. A doctor has to pop, wrestle it back into the socket. Rehab is brutal. You often are on crutches for two to three months. That is Jacob. But Jacob didn't have that. Jacob just grabbed a stick. He had a walking stick. My friend Trevor gave me the walking stick. He hurt, me, hurt my knee, hurt knee years ago. So he says, I'm going to give Tim one of my walking sticks. Thank you, my friend. So he had, he had a walking stick with this broken, this broken hip. And he wasn't walking on ADA-approved ramps. You know, he's walking through the desert with rocks and stuff right there. That is Jacob. The good news is when when something broke inside of Jacob physically, something broke in his heart. And that was great news. That's all God was looking for. And he truly had embraced the God as his God. And we'll see in Genesis 33 this this story. Because you're going to see the old Jacob popping out like a rash. You know, like a rash that just keeps coming back. But then you see, look, you also see Jesus Christ in him. Maybe you see yourself in the story. Look at Genesis 33, verse 1. It says, Jacob looked. Genesis 33, verse 1. Jacob looked, and there Esau was coming. And with him were 400 men. Now, he thinks he's going to get slaughtered. And so he, he falls back to the old Jacob. The rash that is the old Jacob springs out. And so he divides the children in groups. And this is his old plan. He's not, protect, he's not like believing the promise of God where God said, I got your back. Go back to the promised land. Esau's not going to slaughter you. I promise. No, no, no. He still trusts his own plans, his own wisdom, his own efforts. That's the old Jacob. That's not the new Jacob. That's the old Jacob. But then you do see Christ in Jacob. Look at verse 3. It says, Then he crossed over this brook, before his family. That's a difference. See, before, if you remember the story, before his plan, whenever there's danger, whenever there's danger out there, his philosophy is women and children first. So he puts, he puts his wife, his kids out there where the danger is. And so now here's the difference. He puts himself in front. Here's a dad. Here's a husband no longer is going to abdicate from the spiritual leadership role. No longer does that make his wife or mom be the spiritual leader of the home. He's going to embrace the role of being a spiritual leader. Here's a guy not going to sacrifice his own family to make his life comfortable. Not going to sacrifice his own family to protect him. He's going to be in the front now. Guys, that's a difference. That's not the old Jacob. That's Christ in Jacob. You also see he bowed himself to the ground seven times. 
before Esau. Can you picture this moment? He's like, there comes Esau. Ah, a broke, a dislocated hip. Ah, oh, 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 I'm so sorry, Esau. Ah, 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 one. Seven times the dude did this. Seven times. He's enduring a level of pain. There goes that. He's enduring a level of pain that he never endured before. You can write down beside verse 3. Here's what you see of Christ. Christ's sacrifice. You see Christ's sacrifice. Because this guy finally is leading from the front, not from the back. This guy is finally enduring pain. And guys, that's not who Jacob is. The old Jacob is not that. You know who you see? Jesus in Jacob. You see Jesus. If you look down verse 5, Esau starts asking, okay, tell me about all these people I see here. Who's this people? It's his family. But notice the words Jacob uses. It's the new Jacob, Jesus, not the old Jacob, the credit hog. Look what he says here. He said, oh, who are these children? He says, these are the children whom God has graciously given your servant. You see, Jacob loved the center of attention, loved people noticing him, loved taking the credit. But now this is not, the, this is not Jacob. This is Jesus. You see, he's humble. He's willing to say, thank you. I really appreciate that. Good job. Hey, I really, it's an encouragement to be thank you. But honestly, it's God that did this. He's a credit deflector up to God. And you can write beside there, Christ's humility. Jesus Christ's humility. That's what we're seeing in Jacob. It's not the old Jacob, uh, the guy that's got to be the center of attention. It's the new Jacob. That's okay if nobody notices him. Nobody credits him. It's okay. And, And for those of you who are the center of attention type people, you're the extrovert, for you, you see Jesus in you when you're okay not being the center of attention. Like Jesus came to this world and nobody knew who he was. He was just a carpenter. But others of you, you're the opposite. You don't want anybody to notice you. You want to be in the back. If you're ever noticed, ah, you'll do anything to keep being noticed. You know what your version of humility is? Being the center of attention. Humble enough. That's what Jesus on the cross was. Very public. Is it Jesus getting baptized? Very public. And so your version of humility is not being in the background. You like that. It's being in the front. That's humility. And you see that in people when they embrace God as their own. You see Jesus. If you look over in verse 8, he's asking about all, he sent these five different set of flocks, animals, like almost 600 animals to him as a gift. So he asked, what's up with all the animals? And so you see a little bit of the old Jacob slipping in. The rash breaks out again of Jacob, his old nature. He says, well, these animals, verse 8, are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. Jacob still struggles with relying on his own human ability, his money, his gifts, his wisdom to buy some forgiveness or favor uh, with his brother. Instead of just believing God, he's, gotta, he's still relying on himself. Now, that's not the new Jacob. But you see it down in verse 11. You see the new Jacob. You see Jesus. Listen to his words. Verse 11. Please, Take my blessing. Now, when he says the phrase, take my blessing, do you realize that's exactly what Esau wanted to murder him about? about. He says, my brother 
took my blessing. I am going to kill that guy next time I see him. I'm going to kill him. Took my blessing. So you know what he does? He's up here with his brother. He goes, please, brother, take my blessing. He is the bigger man now. He's willing to bring up his problems, his sin, not blame anybody else, not blame his mommy for coming up for the plan, though she did, not blame anybody, all the pressure of the season. He says, take my blessing. He brought up his own sin to his brother first. He was the first person to bring it up and says, please, brother, I'm admitting to you, I'm messed up. Take my blessing. He's okay. He's content having people known he's blown it. He's okay owning the responsibility of that. He's content with that. He even says a statement he's never said before. He says, take my animals because I have enough. He's never said that before. That is not the old Jacob. That's Christ. You can write down Christ's contentment beside that verse. Christ's contentment. He is now content. You see Jesus in Jacob. Because he's okay being wrong and people knowing it. He's okay saying, I have a little bit and that's enough. Or I have a lot and that's enough. Either way, I have enough. That was the contentment that's only in Jesus. Then you see his old nature like a rash popping out again. Verse 14, Esau says, let's go. Let's head south to my home, which is called Edom, or seer. Now, we're, i got to give you geography real quick. They're outside the promised land at this meeting. Esau lives south of there in a place called Edom or Seir, which is located southeast of the promised land, southeast of the Dead Sea. And so Esau's like, hey, come to my home. I want you to live with me. We'll be together again, brother. And so God has told uh, Jacob, you're going to go back and live where your grandpa lived in the promised land. You're going to live where your dad, Isaac, lived, in the promised land, which would require him to go the opposite direction, north, up to a staging area, and then cross the Jordan River, like, like Joshua would cross the Jordan River someday, cross it from east to west to enter the promised land. That's what God told him. But Jacob couldn't bring himself to admit it. And Jacob struggled, again, with his old reliance on self. Jacob had a problem with deceiving others. And so he would be okay with them, even if he didn't lie necessarily. Jacob was very comfortable letting people be misinformed, make the wrong assumption. As long as it benefited him, he'd leave them with a bad impression, a wrong impression. I didn't really say it or whatever, but, and so you see his old nature right here. Look what he says in verse 14. Okay, I'm coming, brother. I will lead at a pace that the kids are able to endure until I come to my Lord in seer. That one's a tough statement because it's actually not true. So he's, it's, it's just not true. It's just not true. It's his old, the old Jacob's popping out. But you see the new Jacob. So he, he finally arrives. He heads north away from his brother. He should have told his brother what he's doing. He goes to Sukkot, a place called Booz. He stages there. He moves across the Jordan River. He ends up in a city called Shechem. And in verse 19, look what he does. You see Jesus in him. He bought land, in verse 19, bought land for 100 pieces of silver, or money, and then he erected an altar. First thing he did when he bought his land, he built a brand new altar. Now, back in the day when you wanted to worship God, you would collect rocks and make this stone altar. 
And so you'd start a fire on it. If you wanted to offer God food to him as a sacrifice, you would go start a fire and burn it and give it to him. You, you take a sacrifice, an animal like a lamb, you'd kill it, put it on the fire and burn it to him. It's a place of, the altar is a place of worship. It's a place of sacrifice. And so he builds this altar. It's very important to him. Altar is very visible. People know it's there. You can smell it for miles when it's burning. You know it. You can see it. It's public. Place of worship and sacrifice. But he names his altar something. He says, God, this is the name of this altar. This altar is named El Elohi Israel. El Elohi Israel. El, God. Elohi. The God of Israel, me. I'm naming this altar because that's his new name. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. We'll talk about that next week. Bible says if you become a Christian, you get a new name in Revelation. We'll talk about your new identity you have. That's next week's topic. But he makes this altar. He says this altar, I'm naming this altar. What's the name of that altar? It's named God, the God of Israel. God, the God of me. What had happened? Finally, Jacob no longer related to God like his grandpa's God. No longer his dad's God. First time in his life. God is my God. My God. And I wonder if this is your story. Have you made an altar in your life, this moment, and you name that altar, God, the God of me. Now, the cool thing is you don't need to go out in your backyard and heap up stones, start a fire, and open some canned goods and toss on stuff and give them to God. You you don't have to do that. Our altar was made 2,000 years ago. That's our altar. When Jesus went to the cross 2,000 years ago, our sacrifice, Jesus, was sacrificed on our altar, the cross. He died there. That's our worship center. And now Jesus tells you to take your worship center, your altar, everywhere you go. Remember, he tells you to carry your, to carry your altar, pick up your cross, your altar, and follow me. And so now when you follow Jesus, you're carrying your cross, you're carrying your altar. That's your altar, not a stone area. It's the cross. And you're carrying the cross around, and now the cross brings meaning. Your whole life is worship. And sacrifice. That's what an altar is. The cross is worship and sacrifice. So now when you're at your, in school or whatever, at your home, you're typing out some paper or whatever. Because you're carrying the cross, typing out the paper is now worship. It's a gift to God. When you're driving down the road and you're carrying the cross for Jesus, driving is now, it's an act of worship because you're living for him. Everything becomes an act of worship. Why? You're carrying your altar. Here's my only question though. Have you taken the cross and made it your cross? Have you taken the sacrifice of Jesus? This is God, the God of me. In fact, write this question down in your notes. Ask yourself, have I made my God, have I made God my God? Have I made God my God? Because you see Christ in somebody. Not perfectly. I mean, like a rash, your old self will, will pop out and people will see it. It'll hurt. <laughs> but then you'll see something else there. You'll see Jesus. Here's the Grace Dome question this week. It's at the bottom of your notes. I'll put it on the screen here to talk about in your household or your grace group. Discuss what it's like to relate to God as somebody else's God. Maybe your parents or your friend's God. Then, 
Discuss what it means to make the God my God. And share if you've done that. Share when you did that. And then share the areas of Jesus Christ that you see in yourself that are not you. Those of you who have given your life to God, Christ, have you ever done it before? I remember when I was an early Christian, I was, I was like 19 years old and I, I became a Christian and all of a sudden I started seeing things in me. I'm like, where did that come from? <laughs> that's good. And that's not me. That's because that is Jesus. That's Jesus. Here's the verse you could read as a prayer. Exodus 15 verse 2 says this. This is the first time in the Bible that the phrase, my God is used in a positive sense. It's a song of Moses. And he says, the Lord is my strength. If you embrace God as your own, you no longer trust your strength. You don't trust your wisdom. You don't trust your giftedness. You don't trust that. You trust God's strength, God's plan, God's wisdom. He is also your song. The Lord is my song. That means when you get thanked, you say, thank you. I appreciate that. It means a lot to me. It encourages me. I'll tell you what, though. Credit ought to be given to God. God is doing amazing things in this area. And then you say, he has become my salvation. It implies he's not your salvation when you're born, though there's a season of grace and protection. At some point, you got to make God. You become a God follower. You declare your own altar. God is now my God. And now you say, he is my God. He is my God. Guys, have you done this? This is the most important commitment that you'll ever make that you cannot make unless the Holy Spirit is calling you and prompting you and enabling you. But when he calls you, he wants you to make the God your God. Let's pray for just a moment. If you'd bow your heads, just pray for yourself, pray for those around you, pray we could all hear the Holy Spirit really clearly. And ask yourself the question. Ask yourself, am I a person that absolutely has, without a doubt, Made the God my God? Have I made the cross of Jesus my altar? Have I named the cross my altar of God, the God of me? If you know that you've done it, unconditionally, you don't have an if then relationship with God, you've unconditionally given your life to God. You've made Jesus Christ your Savior. As an act of worship and praise, a recognition of that, would you lift up that hand to God? Just say, just a recognition as a worship moment. Say, God, I have done that. Recognize that you have done this. I'm lifting up my hand as well. I know I've done this. I've given my life to Jesus Christ. Who else besides me can say, yes, I absolutely have. Fantastic. You can put your hands down. Maybe you couldn't put your hand up yet. But the Holy Spirit is prompting you and saying it's time. It's time. It's time for you to surrender, to give up, to give your life to Jesus Christ. You can do that right now. I'm going to pray a sample prayer, but my prayer doesn't do it. And it's not how long the prayer is. It's not how good you do or don't pray, because none of that matters. It's how much you mean what you're about to pray. And you can give your life to Jesus right now. If you don't know for sure you have Christ as Savior, or you have a good suspicion you have not, and you'd like to, 
If you'd like to give your life to Christ, pray with me right now. Make this prayer your own. Just pray, dear Jesus, right there in your seat. Dear Jesus, right now, right now I make you, Jesus, my God. Pray this. You're no longer my friend's God or my family's God, but you are my God from here on out. Pray, pray, God, I give up. God, I surrender. I give my life to you, my soul to you, my hopes and dreams to you. I give my body to you. I give my family, my household to you, my career, my education to you, my friendships to you. I give all of it. Right now, I give it up to you as an act of worship. And right now, God, would you save me? Would you take what you did on the altar of the cross 2,000 years ago, the sacrifice that Jesus made for me, and would you pay for all my sins, past, present, and even future? And I make you my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, if you have made that commitment just now, if you were somewhat sure and now you prayed that with me, or you knew you weren't and you prayed, it's, it's humongous. The Bible talks about a celebration going on in heaven right now because of one person's decision. As an act of worship and recognition what God has done, would you recognize what God has done today? Just by lifting a hand up, say, Tim, as an act of worship to God and recognition of what you've done, I pray with you just now to give my life. Just put your hand up. Anybody else around the room? Fantastic, fantastic, absolutely. There's one, who else? Make sure, anybody else? All right, I appreciate it. We've had people all weekend long give their life to Christ over and over and over. Fantastic. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email podcast at graceks.org. Grace Church meets in Overland Park, Kansas at 159th and Antioch. For more information, visit us on the web at visitgracechurch.com.